0: Let's pray. God, unless you speak to our hearts today, nothing of value will be said. So open our minds, open our eyes, open our hearts, that we can see your work in the world. Give me your words to speak and keep me completely out of your way. In Jesus' name, amen. As a mom of two elementary-age daughters, I hear the phrase, it wasn't me, it was her, several times a day, especially during the first week of summer break. Amazingly, it's never answered with, she's right, it was totally me. Wouldn't that be amazing? Predictably, it's answered with, no, it wasn't, it was her. Most of the stuff then really isn't done by anybody in the house. No one's culpable but my kids are not unique. They're wonderful children who are just like the rest of us. They like to blame other people for their mistakes. All of us have done it at one point or another. There's something about humans that makes us not want to be seen as fault, as at fault. It's difficult for us to admit. And it's been this since the beginning, apparently. The very first, Adam and Eve. The reading from the book of Genesis speaks to the origins of evil in the world. And the interesting thing to me about reading this this week, this story, again, after many, many readings throughout my life and being taught from a very young age about this story, is that the disobedience of eating the forbidden fruit did not stand out to me as much as the blame shifting. Right? In, In the story, we see God coming to hang out in the garden, as was God's, um, God's pattern the, during those first days, hanging out with God's creation, and seeing Adam, and Adam looks real weird and real embarrassed. Something is up. Adam never knew how to feel that before, but he was feeling it. And God asked Adam, and rather, rather than telling God an accurate account of what had occurred, he immediately threw Eve under the bus. It's not like he had much experience being in a partnership or many options of who to blame, but still I think that we can all agree that it's never a good idea to throw your partner under the bus. Bad form, Adam. But it's, you know, he didn't know what else to do and he certainly wasn't going to take blame for himself. Eve had even fewer options of who to blame, so she hadn't learned the response that my kids know so well, which is, it wasn't me, it was her. So she blamed the snake. It makes me wonder what the original intent of this story was, to show us that evil came into the world through the forbidden fruit and disobedience, or that evil entered the world at the intersection of blame and resistance to repentance, at a denial of being reconciled to each other. We like to convince ourselves that our own sin is not our fault, and we prefer to believe that the evil in the world is not our problem. We like to try to insulate ourselves against that. And because on some level, we think that if we can convince ourselves that is not our fault or not our problem, we don't have to take any responsibility for our own sin or the sins of the world. Jesus, however, did not shy away from responsibility. He looked at the brokenness of the world and he took it head on. He saw people in bondage to evil and sickness and more and set them free. He made it his problem. Our gospel reading this morning finds him making people extremely uncomfortable by how much he made his problem. The religious authority was pulling out all the steps. He's crazy. This guy is unhinged. He's a demon. There's something wrong with him. He must be stopped. And Jesus responded with, hey, if I'm a demon, I'm not going to cast out demons. If I'm evil, I'm not going to eradicate evil. That doesn't make any sense. He went on to show his reasoning for his strong action against evil. He talked about in order for someone doing violence to be stopped, someone stronger must come along and tie them up. Jesus saw himself at war with the power of evil, at war with suffering, at war with bondage. Jesus came to brawl. And we know that Jesus did not fight with actual violence to people. The only violence we see Jesus doing was to property, right? and when he overturned tables, he didn't hurt people. But to systems reliant on inequality, offering equality felt like a violence. To communities used to functioning with a worldview that those who suffered deserved it and somehow brought it upon themselves, the suggestion that the suffering were victims felt terrible. It felt like an offense, like a violence. The religious authority of the day had for a long time made the suffering around them not their problem. They had built up a rock-solid argument as to why they could not help the hurting. There was no helping them. At the time, the theology was that if someone had something bad happen to them, it was well-deserved because they must be evil in some way or sinful in some way. So they reminded themselves that these people that were suffering were really probably just getting their just desserts. They also probably used some of the same excuses we like to use. Like, we just don't have the time or the resources right now to help everyone is hurting, and it really wouldn't be fair to just help a few people, so we really can't help anyone. Or, we aren't the right people to do that. Or, we've always done it this way, and so we can't change. Or, we have our own issues to deal with. Or, or, or. So many excuses that we use. So Jesus by rejecting these obstacles and healing and casting out demons and forgiving in God's name was an affront to the religious authority. It made them look bad and it convicted their hearts. But it was not just the religious authority who had an issue with Jesus's ministry to the marginalized and hurting. It was also his own family. Jesus's family watched They watched him do his ministry, they watched him rabble rouse, and their own reputations were affected by his incendiary behavior. They heard rumors about the murderous rage he caused the powerful. They were embarrassed by him. They were afraid for him. They wanted him to stop. They wanted him to be normal. They wanted him to be safe. They wanted him to not rock the boat. Their priority was Jesus and his well-being. But Jesus' priority was the healing of the whole world. In some of the hardest-to-handle words in his ministry, Jesus made it clear, family is not more important than being whom I am meant to be. Healer, deliverer, Savior. My destiny is bigger. My family are those who do God's will. Now, thankfully, we know from the context of Scripture that these words did not cause a permanent rift between Jesus and his family. He didn't disown them. His mother was with him when he died. The Gospels make references to Jesus' brothers. What he did was make it clear to them to his followers, and to us, that our excuses as to why we cannot heal the world and take responsibility for the pain around us, how that holds no water. We have been called from the beginning to confront in ourselves that which trends towards not taking responsibility, For the evil that we do, for the pain that we cause, for the wrong that we enable, and for the pain in the world around us that we have the power to affect in Jesus' name. I know facing this can cause anxiety because we prefer to be insulated. It's not our problem, but do not be discouraged. God does not call us to anything impossible. God does not call us to do this on our own. We get to participate in the work of the Spirit and the work of the resurrection all around us. It can be as small as smiling and really seeing people as children of God. Mother Teresa said, peace begins with a smile. It could be choosing a posture toward pain and hurting that shifts from, this is not my problem, I want to distance myself from this, to how can I help, how can can I be present to this? It can be accepting criticism from loved ones. It can be looking for ways to open our hearts to new ways of being. It could be living into who God made us to be and not allowing anything, even the religious authorities or our own families to dissuade us. This week on our property, our church was able to participate and a memorial service for a woman who was invisible to most of San Antonio. She lived in a tent underneath the freeway here across the street. She got her meals at CAM and other places. She had children. She was well-loved by her family and her friends, other unsheltered homeless. She had a couple of little dogs. Mary died from complications of cancer, and she was by all accounts, forgotten by the world. But here on our property, with Cam and some other churches from this area, we memorialized her this week. She had a light in her. God saw her as beloved. And when we remembered her on Tuesday, Pastor Mitchell from First Presbyterian reminded all of us, and those unsheltered homeless that were there, that sometimes it can feel like no one cares that we do. He called out Grace Lutheran as one of the congregations that represents God's care to the unsheltered homeless, to those who feel like they don't matter. Her, Her cousin's husband told me the day that she died, we feel like we're invisible. We feel like people don't think we're human. This is the kind of ministry we get to do and be, to just show up and say, Mary mattered. She was God's beloved child. It can feel daunting, but I can guarantee you that in the way of the kingdom of God, it will not be a hardship. It will be a blessing. We were made for this. It sounds scary to do these things, and it may be scary and it may be hard, but there is nothing more healing than choosing to take responsibility for our own actions and then start to look at the evil in the world and know that we can do something about that too because we can our human temptation from the beginning is to say it wasn't me but beloved it is you you are the anointed of God you are spirit spirit carriers to the world you are the healing balm of Jesus to the vulnerable to the broken to the sinner You, willing to own yourself with an open heart and let the whole world in. Amen.